Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. John the Baptist comes on the scene right out of the gate. He looks at the people and he says, you brood of vipers. You're a bunch of stinking snakes. You've got the appearance of being spiritual and righteous, but you're vile and corrupt. And then he says, who warned you to flee and try to escape the wrath of God? We continue to read last week where those in the crowd go, what should we do? And then even the tax collectors were like, what should we do? And even the soldiers of that day were like, well, what are we supposed to do? And John gives them this warning of, you need to repent and come to Christ and be baptized. We pick it up right here in verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, all of these different people that were coming out here in the, the message through the messenger, John the Baptist, were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, Christ, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven saying, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Back to the question, back to the question, why does Jesus come for baptism? Even in the gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, why are you coming to me to be baptized I ought to be coming to you to be baptized. John the Baptist was preaching a message of repentance, of forgiveness for sins, then get baptized. Why, 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 why you, Jesus? You never sinned. Why you, Jesus? You didn't need forgiveness. You were the perfect Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. Even in Matthew 3, Jesus says, uh, the reason I'm being baptized is to fulfill all righteousness. Let me stay here with you. This is going to be a little theological for you, but it's important. Right doctrine and healthy doctrine gives us healthy direction of life. Jesus says, I'm here to be baptized because it fulfills all righteousness. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, the Father wants me to do this and wants you to be a part of it, John. And so in doing so, I'm submitting to the, the will of God. When we submit to the will of God, that's righteous. Jesus is declaring right out of the gate, I'm submitting to the will of the Father. I only do what pleases the Father. When you see me, you've seen the Father. I, I want to please the Father. So every day as we walk through life and we choose to yield and submit our wills to the will of God, man, that, that, that's righteous. Jesus also, by being baptized, is identifying with the lost people of that day. Jesus will eventually become the Lamb of God that will be crucified on the cross, that will die a criminal's death to atone and redeem people from sin. Jesus identifying with lost people was righteous. And when you love your neighbor, and when you love those people that you work with, those people that are alienated and separated and distant from God, when you engage with other people and identify with lost people and share the love of Christ with others, that, that's righteous. That pleases God's heart. Jesus also, in being 
baptized is validating the work and the ministry of John the Baptist. God has raised John the Baptist up as a forerunner, as a prophet, as a messenger of God. And John basically is proclaiming that there is a new way available. The new covenant is coming. The Jewish system is not working. It can't offer salvation and hope and healing. So by Jesus identifying with John the Baptist, he's affirming JB, and in doing so, that was righteous. We have that opportunity every day to love on and affirm other people, to believe in other people, to validate other people, to let them know that their story matters, that they have worth. And when we do that, that's righteous. And we have that opportunity even as we walk through today. Now, when you study it, Jesus gives us many examples in Scripture that we're to follow. Baptism is one of those things that Jesus gives us that we're to follow. If baptism was not necessary, why did Jesus do it? And if baptism is not important, then why was John preaching it? I've had people over the years try to refute the conversation of baptism. And they'll go to the thief on the cross and they're like, well, look at the thief on the cross. He was not baptized. And I said, you're right. Don't go to an outline or scripture that that thief had no opportunity to follow in baptism. And people will try to use that argument at times. And I want to break that down with you even more. Baptism is an action step of obedience to every person who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. It is an action step of obedience, Josh, that every person needs to take. The word baptism, baptizo in the Greek, means to be emerged. It means to go under. I was talking to a lady in the first service in her 80s, and she said, I want to talk to you about this. I love God, but I was sprinkled as an infant. If you were sprinkled as an infant, you were not baptized, you just got wet. (laughs) The word baptism, baptizo, means to be emerged. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead on the third day, praise God, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Christ was buried and he was raised. And so Paul uses this reference to say, do you not realize that baptism is a portrait of you dying to self? Baptism is not a requirement for salvation, but baptism is a requirement of obedience. You're required, if you're going to obey the Lord, to be baptized. Baptism 
is a public declaration about our faith in Jesus Christ. It is proclaiming to the world that I have now died to myself. I'm being raised in this new life with Jesus, and I am committed that Jesus Christ is my Lord, my Savior, my Master, my authority. He now gets to call the shots. My old life is buried. My new life is who I am in Christ. So the first step of obedience after salvation, baptism, and if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus, obedience to the Lord has to be the foundation that you work from. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. Dustin, when he baptizes, you will hear Dustin share this often. It's a public profession and declaration to the world. I'm identified with Jesus now. Even Peter comes out after being filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts chapter 2, and he says, repent, every one of you, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They gladly received his word, and they were baptized. Baptism always, always, always follows salvation. After there's repentance and confession that Jesus is Lord, it follows it. It never precedes it. And whatever your marinade is denominationally and how you were brought up, I promise you do a, a detailed study on what baptism is. It follows salvation, and it should follow salvation as soon as possible. Here's the question. Have you taken that step, that first step of obedience in honoring the Lord? Have you been scripturally baptized and followed Jesus and what Jesus sets in motion here. Now, I encourage you to do so. At the end of our service today, you can come up for prayer, see one of our team leaders. You can go to the Connect Center and say, I want to be baptized, and we will help you take that first step. Now, back to Jesus being baptized. And when you look at this, the baptism of Jesus declares and confirms that Jesus is the Son of God. God validates Jesus as his son. When you go back and study even the other gospel accounts that capture the baptism of Jesus narrative, if you will, John chapter 1, John the Baptist makes this statement. He said in verse 34, uh, 31, for this purpose I came baptizing with water. For this purpose I would highlight that, circle that word, for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. It remained on him. I have seen and bear witness that this is the Son of God. John was basically saying, all of this baptism that I've been doing led to this one pinnacle event that Jesus Christ would be revealed and identified to the entire nation of Israel that he is Yeshua, Hamashiach, the anointed one of God. He is the Messiah. That's him. He goes, that's why I did it. And Jesus will reveal that the new way is going to be birthed. The old way is not sufficient. He's going to reveal that the law cannot save you, that salvation is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. God confirms it by saying, look, 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 look. This is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. Could you imagine the echoing thunderous noise that leaks out of heaven when God goes, that, that's my boy. That's my son. 
I've sat here many Sundays over these last 12 years, and there's been so many joyous, celebratory moments being a part of this body. But I can tell you, when my son Benji stood here for the first time and shared the gospel and preached the word, I sat there with tears running down my face going, this is my boy. When I see the growth that's happened with Rachel and just the, the life inside of her, there's something you go, oh, that's my girl. And I look at Jesse and Hannah and Caleb and I go, ah, oh, that's, my, that's my baby. Could you imagine God going, that's my boy. That's my son. That's my only begotten. He confirms and declares he's it. Prophecy is being fulfilled based on Psalm chapter 2. The Lord said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Isaiah 42 declares, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, in whom I am well pleased. I have put my spirit upon him. So when Jesus is baptized, it is the announcement and the revealing. Oh, look at him. He's the servant. He's the Messiah. He will, he will be the one bringing healing and hope and salvation and forgiveness. He's the chosen one. Look at the spirit just rest on him and dwell on him. He's it. It's like, wow. So Luke is writing to a Gentile audience, if you will. And Luke is showing, I'm telling you right now, guys, as I unpackage the remainder of my gospel narrative to you, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is not a less than deity. He is deity. He is God in flesh, and I'm about to unpackage who he was. It's like, yes, he's the Son of God. And as a result, after the baptism, Jesus will now launch his public ministry his public ministry has not been launched yet, but Jesus now has all authority as the promised one, the Messiah, to bring about salvation and deliverance for the nation of Israel. 400 years of silence, no prophet has spoken, and he's going, I'm telling you, he is the one. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. The baptism of Jesus is so powerful. It's part of anchoring our faith of saying, he really is God. He's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. Then Luke records the genealogy. Here we go. Here's all these names and all these people. And why, why, why put the genealogy in there? Why put his family tree in there? What's the purpose of this? Well, the genealogy genealogy of Jesus confirms that he has the legal right to be the Messiah. And Luke's going to unpackage and show you why legally he has the right to become Savior of Israel and Savior of the world. If you go back some 2,000 years ago, this was absolutely crucial for the Jews as well as even for the non-Jews, the Greeks and Gentiles of that day. It's so important. What's your family tree? Where you come from? What's your root system? And genealogies are still very important in many nations today. When you read scripture, you will see some of this biographical sketch and genealogy being listed out. Paul in Romans chapter 11 in Philippians 3, he goes, I'm an Israelite. 
I'm a, a descendant of Abraham. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. According to the law, man, I'm a Pharisee. Nobody's been more zealous than I am. And Paul was basically just saying, hey, guys, I know before God, I'm very small. That's what my name means. But I'm telling you, I am qualified to come speak on behalf of God. Look at my pedigree. Look at who I am. I, I, I just didn't show up out of nowhere. I come from the right lineage. Y'all remember Alex Haley? Years ago, he wrote a book that was titled Roots. Alex Haley argued that unless we know our ancestors, we can't know who we are. Haley said that black Americans needed their own Genesis story that did not begin or end at slavery. So Haley traveled back to Gambia where his slave ancestors had come from. And one day while he was there, he met with a man who was the local historian who could recite the men of one tribe going back multiple centuries. The older man told him of generations upon generations of people. And then he said to Haley, but, but, but then it happened. So-and-so was married to so-and-so, and they had a son, and that son got taken away. The year was 1752, and he was never seen again. Haley asked the older man, what was the young man's name? The older gentleman said his name was... Kunta Kente. Haley said, I had one of those aha, wow, life-changing moments right there. Kunta Kente was one of my ancestors who had been taken to America. And Haley said, I realized then for the first time I had roots. I had a history. I had a heritage. My family came from somewhere and I belonged the genealogy of Christ is that he belongs when you start to study it. He's not a nobody from nowhere that just happens to appear in Israel one day. He's not a rebel who's just coming about doing crazy things with strange teachings. He has a bio. He has a family. He has ancestors. He has roots. He belongs. And he has a history. As Luke lays out, as Matthew lays out, he's got a history. He's from the lineage of the people that God said he was going to bless. And if he's going to be Messiah, and if he's going to occupy the throne of David, he's got to come from the lineage to do so. That's where he's coming from. ABC News was reading an article from them, and they said genealogy is the second most popular hobby in the U.S. behind gardening. ABC News said it is the second most visited web search behind porn. Ancestry. It is a billion-dollar industry, websites, books, DNA kits. My brother sent Ancestry.com some information about our family, and they wrote him back with a bag of seeds and said, bro, y'all might want to start over. <laughs> it's like, bro, your family tree don't fork its spoons. 
I didn't know we had descendants in Alabama, Julie. <laughs> but why is it so popular? Why are so many people intrigued with ancestry, with DNA and roots? I posed that question the other day as I was studying through it, and I said, Rachel, why do you think? And she, bam, hit it like a champ. Because most people are trying to answer the question, who am I? Who am I? Why am I here Do I really matter? Do I have purpose? Do I really belong? And I will speak over you right now and tell you that your identity matters. Your story matters. You matter. Matthew and Luke are writing this biographical sketch of Jesus' life. They're both writing biographies. That's the way their gospels are presented. And they both included Jesus' family tree revealing who Jesus is. Matthew goes all the way back, if you will, to Abraham. Luke goes all the way back to Adam and God the Father. Matthew is trying to connect Jesus back to David, showing that he can occupy the throne and become Israel's king. I'll take you all the way back even to Abraham, showing you that Jesus is of true Jewish descent. Luke, he goes back further. When you read verse 23, it says, in this genealogy of Jesus all the way through 38, It says, when Jesus began his ministry, public ministry, he was about 30 years of age, being the son of Joseph, and he traces him all the way back to verse 38 saying, he was the son of Adam. He's the son of God. Luke is connecting Jesus all the way back, showing That Jesus came, not just for the Jews, but for all people, and that Gentiles like you and I can be grafted into the family of God, and that we can belong to the church. We can belong to God. Luke is writing to this Gentile audience, and many of the Gentiles felt less than, and he goes, no, 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 no. You're not less than. Jesus levels the playing field. If you're in Christ, you belong to the Father You don't have to come from this Jewish root system. Study Romans 9, 10, and 11. Man, he's taken wild olives like you and I and have grafted us into the righteous branch. Therefore, in view of God's mercy of redeeming Gentiles, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That's what Luke is declaring. Guys, I got good news for you. That when you belong to Jesus, you belong. Adam may be your father in the flesh, and Abraham may be a father in the faith, but God is your father, and Jesus is your Savior, your Lord, and your big brother. Steve, we jump over genealogy at times and never focus on it, never study it, never pay attention to it, and we get into it, and it's like, so so why are you spending all this time on genealogy? And Luke would say, well, I'm just trying to show you as I lay out genealogy. That Jesus is superior and Jesus' greatness far exceeds anything that's ever happened on this planet. 
I, I, I showed you a couple of chapters ago that Jesus is so great that even angels showed up to declare to shepherds his birth. I told you Jesus is so great that even the Holy Spirit descended on him. Nobody's ever seen that. I'm going to show you in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus, when he is tempted by Satan, Jesus is way greater than the enemy. He goes, I, I'm just trying to show you all how great Jesus is. And the genealogy shows us that Jesus is greater than any prophet, than any earthly king, than anybody that had ever existed all of the Jews and others had looked at those old prophets and said, man, this dude's great. And Luke is saying, hey, 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 they're, they're, they were good. But Jesus is greater than because every one of those prophets and every one of those kings was looking forward to the day that the Messiah would come. Jesus is greater. He's the son of God. The rest of them were just son of men. And he lays out basically tracing it all the way back to Adam saying, hey, man, in that first man that God created, Adam, we realized that he rebelled against God. And as a result, we all inherited the curse of sin. But in this second man, Adam, in Jesus, the beloved son of God, we inherit the promise of salvation and forgiveness and hope and deliverance and peace. Luke is like, don't, 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 don't miss this. And a lot of times we get to things like the genealogy and we're like, no, this is so important. It's so crucial. He has the legal right. Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, Jesus, the perfect son of God, was sent to earth in the likeness of sinful flesh to redeem and restore sinners. Jesus is going to come in the likeness of sinful flesh. He's going to bring about healing and restoration and redemption. But he was sent, he was sent, he was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. Pay attention to this. When you read the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew as well as in Luke, you will read a list of names of some jacked up, messed up, screwed up people. And that should be comforting for all of us. That should be comforting for all of us because it screams that God uses broken people for his glory. Yes! It screams that there is no family on this earth that is perfect. Study his genealogy. Study his root system. There's people on that list that are murderers, adulterers, prostitutes, cowards, corrupt, wicked kings. They were all part of his root system? Yes. Why do you think God included that? Because it declares that Jesus Christ did not need a perfect family to achieve and accomplish his mission. Which means you don't need a perfect family to achieve and accomplish the mission that God has in store for you. Man, every family is dysfunctional and every family is messed up. Yeah, they, they, they are. 
Is your family dysfunctional? Yeah. Your family dysfunctional, Tim? Yes. Every family represented in this room is dysfunctional, and some are a little more jacked up than others. I've met people over the years that said, hey, man, I'm telling you one thing. When I get grown, I'm moving as far away from that mess as I can. I'm going to start over. Will you go ahead, big boy, and chase it? But I got bad news for you that wherever you are, you're still going to be there. You better make sure that you come to faith in Christ because he's the only one that can change a generational narrative and set it in the right direction. Let me wrap it. Y'all dive into Luke 3. Study some more on the beauty of baptism. Study the genealogy. But Luke is emphatic when he writes, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God in flesh. Legally, he's qualified to be Messiah. When God goes, this is my beloved son in him, I'm well pleased. Jesus is for all people. That's what Luke is saying. He's not just for a certain color or a certain socioeconomic group. He's like, no, 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 Jesus is for all. And he's basically saying, make sure your identity is found in Christ. Please, please listen to me. Please listen. Many of us have memorized 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Jack, if any, if it, just anyone is in Christ, whether you grew up broke as a joke, poor, begging, or if you grew up with a silver spoon, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Which basically says when you get born again and truly saved, you, you really do get to start over. You can it's like, man, do you have a past full of darkness and shame and guilt? You got skeletons in your closet you're still carrying around? Jesus can redeem generations and generations of brokenness. And the gift that Christ offers is his righteousness for my sin. I've had people say, man, you don't understand. Man, if you knew my family tree and where I came from, my Great-grandfather was a drunk womanizer. My grandfather, my father, can I tell you, I had people tell me that. Man, look at those generational sins that you have. Look at those generational curses that you inherited, Tim, based on being a cash. Can I tell you, when I came to the cross, there was a blood transfusion that took place. And the blood of Christ cleansed me from all iniquity and sin. Is there patterns developed in generations that have been passed on? But I look and go, praise God for the cross. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. Praise God that he can redeem you from those generational traps that you may feel like you're stuck in. Hey, I want to give you my righteousness for your sin, which means 
I got to give him my sin. When you carry that pain and that shame and that guilt and that condemnation around with you and you don't give it to him, guess what? You're refusing to put on his righteousness. So the question is, who's your daddy? That's the question. Hey, who's your daddy? Who do you belong to? My biological roots come from the cash gene pool. And I love my family, and I'm thankful for my mama and my daddy. And yes, just like you, we were dysfunctional. We, we, we were dysfunctional. But my true identity and my true spiritual roots is anchored in who I am in Christ. My biological roots gave me birth. My spiritual roots gave me life, gave me purpose. Gave me a destination, gave me meaning, gave me value. My biological roots birthed me into the world. I'm in Jesus. God is my Father. The Lord is my Abba Daddy. I stand before you. And declare to you that I belong because I belong to Jesus. I belong because I belong to Jesus. I'm not better than. I'm not less than. John Mark, you belong because you belong to Jesus. Drew, you belong because you belong. Rachel Cash, you belong, not because I'm your daddy, but because you belong to Jesus. You belong. Who's your daddy? Who are you anchoring on? And the genealogy says, make sure. Make sure Jesus is at the core of your family tree. 